Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors. It's another Friday and time for another Reporters Roundtable on the Bill Press Pod this snowy morning in our nation's capital. As we wrap up the news of the week with three of our top political reporters, thanks so much for joining us. And they're off to the races. A huge win for Donald Trump in Iowa. And now it's on to New Hampshire on January 23rd, just four days away, which has turned into a one-on-one battle between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump, with Ron DeSantis, in effect, conceding New Hampshire and placing all of his chips on South Carolina, for better or for worse. But in fact, is it already over? Donald Trump, meanwhile, is bouncing back and forth from the campaign trail to the courtroom, expressing equal disdain for his political opponents, his courtroom adversaries, and judges. Meanwhile, arguing that as president, he should have, or should have had, total immunity for all of his actions, even actions that crossed the line, as he put it. And we've seen this movie before on Capitol Hill. With the help of Democrats, Speaker Mike Johnson narrowly escaped another government shutdown. (laughs) But will he manage to save his job? And still unanswered, what happens to continued aid to Ukraine and Israel? Will there be an immigration deal? Oh, so many questions. Let's get some answers from today's panel who braved the snow to make it to the roundtable this morning. Lynn Sweet, columnist and Washington Bureau Chief of the Chicago Sun-Times. Hello, Lynn. Good morning. Jason Dick, Editor-in-Chief of CQ Roll Call and host of the Political Theater Podcast. Hi, Jason. Good morning. Uh, And David Jackson, National Political Correspondent for USA Today. Hello, David. Hey, Bill. How you doing? Okay, so we get so wrapped up in the uh, numbers in Iowa, the numbers, the polls in New Hampshire and everything, Um, but I want to to take a little different take this morning, um, heeding the advice of Jay Rosen, um, often quoted professor at New York University, who's been telling the media for months now, don't focus on the odds, focus on the stakes. So let's look at first, not what's at the odds of Donald Trump's winning, but the stakes, if he does, he has said it pretty clearly, Jason, in the appeals court in Washington, on Truth Social a couple of days ago, and last night appearing with Sean Hannity on Fox News, Donald Trump's agenda. What is your closing message to the people of New Hampshire? Uh, it's very simple. It's make America great again. The president of the United States, and I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about any president, has to have immunity. Because if you take immunity away from the president, so important, you will have, you will have a president that's not going to be able to do anything. Because when he leaves office... The opposing party, president, if it's the opposing party, will indict the president for doing something that should have been good. Full, total immunity, even for actions that cross the line. Jason, doesn't this kind of turn our idea of the presidency on its head? 
It it really does, I guess, you know, we we've this is he hasn't really hid this though, right? I mean, like there was always sort of lurking there and then it became more uh, explicit with the court cases. And and now it's just like part of the campaign uh, that he should have total immunity, uh, whatever that means. You know, I, I guess it means that he can do anything he wants. I mean, the, his art, his lawyers argued that he could, uh, you know, theoretically, he could order the assassination of a political rival. And unless he was impeached and removed uh, by <clears throat> impeached by the House and removed by the Senate from office, uh, he could get away with it. So he is saying he is above the law. Uh, and, you know, it, what's extraordinary about this is that we just haven't had, you know, since Richard Nixon, we haven't had to plumb <laughs> these sort of questions. And Gerald Ford, you know, removed that, uh, removed that from the equation by pardoning Nixon. So Nixon, uh, you know, might have been indicted. He was likely to be indicted for some for crimes uh, associated with Watergate. But Ford took that out of the out of the equation, and uh, when he pardoned him, so it, this is novel territory we are in, to say the least. Uh, Lynn, at the same time, uh, former President Trump is saying, if were he to get back in office, he would use the Justice Department, turn the Justice Department, or weaponize it to go against Joe Biden. So. It's true for Trump, but not for Biden. Well, don't look for consistency here. But I think think what's important, one of the geniuses, genius parts of how Trump succeeds is his gift of communication. So when he says they'll do to the next president what they did to me, he he makes it look like everything everything is one size fits all. It also makes it simpler to understand. When he explains it that way – He's trying to skirt why he's in trouble. One of the cases has to do with documents taken after he was president. The, uh, the special counsel stuff has to do with a pretty extraordinary set of circumstances where he was trying to overturn the election. The way president, former President Trump just framed it, if you're busy in life and just kind of casually listening to him, is that what they, you know, the, 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 the people out there, his enemies, are trying to take u- usual presidential behavior and criminalize it. That's not what is at issue in these cases against him, but that's kind of how he makes it sound, especially when he is able to get on Fox News with interviewers who don't do routine follow-up questions. Right. David, so does this play with a general electorate, the idea that if the president, so at at the swearing in of the inauguration, you put your hand on the Bible and in effect say, oh, you know, yeah, I I promise to uphold the Constitution and all the laws of the United States, except those that I don't like, right? Oh, it's, uh, there are a lot of questions about, it plays with the Republican electorate, I can tell you that. Really, uh, whether yeah. it does with the independent uh, electorate or the moderate, the people who decide general elections, I have doubts because a lot of I've been looking at a lot of polls recently, and they do indicate that Trump is prospering in the Republican process because voters resent all these indictments against them. There's been a big backlash, but that's only among the Republicans, among independents and uh, moderates. Uh, there's a lot of skepticism out there, and I think this his ridiculous approach to this immunity question is is only going to fuel that. Right. So um, one trial is underway, and the president has now made two appearances in the second uh, Gene Carroll trial uh, in New York. 
um, where he actually got into a little back and forth with the judge the other day because he was uh, making some comments to his attorney, which uh, everybody in the courtroom could hear. Um, pretty defined to the judge, saying basically almost challenging him to throw him out of the court. Uh, Jason, how does that play? Uh, well, to David's point, it plays very well with his supporters because, I mean, this, you know, I think that the quote uh, that, the, that the former president used when the judge threatened to throw him out was, I would love it. I mean, he this yeah. is what he wants. Uh, it's good for his fundraising. It's good for pumping people up in, in this sort of, uh, sort of, you know, wrestling kind of uh, cartoonish figure that he cuts uh, on, on the trail and in, and in front of cameras and so forth. Uh, but to David's point, I don't know how uh, this is going to play with people who are, you know, are legitimately concerned that somebody who has already had a judgment against him in this case for defaming uh, Jean Carroll and then continues to defame her and then goes into the courtroom and makes comments about her. I don't know how that uh, will particularly play with people who are, are not avid uh, fans of Trump. Well, I want to ask you, <clears throat> pardon me, Lynn, how this plays particularly with women. Uh, we know the comments he's made about her, for which he was found a charge with um, an order to pay $5 million for defamation in the first trial. Then he defamed her again, allegedly, uh, and he's back in trial again to see if he has to pay, how much more he has to pay, and he won't stop. He, he left the courtroom a couple of days ago went across the street to one of his properties and makes this statement. This is a person I have no idea until this happened, obviously. I have no idea who she was and nor could I care less. It's a rigged deal. It's a made up fabricated story. And I frankly am the one that suffered damages. I should be given money, given damages. How's that play with women? Well, I, I, I'm flattered that you think I speak for all women. Uh, but <laughs> let me just analyze it uh, in terms of whether or not in a more narrow, let me make it a more narrow question. Will this earn him more female votes than he otherwise would have gotten? And Bill, my analysis is probably not. It helps solidify his base. It helps firm up the women who otherwise would be for him. It may motivate some of his base vote to you know, walk through snow uh, or cold in New Hampshire to get to him. And, and this case also might have contributed to his big win in Iowa. So when it comes to the question of will the court antics in this defamation case win him more votes in New Hampshire and looking forward, I, my analysis is women who are for him may just be fortified this and be more motivated to turn out it's hard to imagine how this can expand his female base. Doesn't it just, uh, f um, and again, I, I, you can't speak for all women, certainly I can't, but doesn't it just perpetuate this notion that the answer to being accused of sexual assault is attacking the woman? Well, let's fine tune the MO of Donald Trump. He always flips the accusation over uh, in everything. President Biden says this election is about democracy. Then Donald Trump says this election is about democracy is on the line. Uh, there's a sexual uh, claim of defamation for a sexual act. He just, he just blatantly says, no, it was on me. He does this all the time, and he does it successfully.
Right. So, David, um, I want to look at Donald Trump's strength given. Now, these, the trial we talked about is, a, is a, not a criminal trial. Um, there's also the financial fraud trial in New York, not a criminal trial, but three criminal trials coming up, right? One in Georgia, one in Florida on the documents, and one here in Washington on January 6th. Three, ten, three out of 10 people that turned up at the caucuses in Iowa said that they could never vote for him if he were convicted, um, faced a felony conviction. NPR showed that one-third of Republican voters nationwide would not vote for him were he convicted of any one of those crimes. And NPR's poll also showed among all voters, 70 percent of general election voters, Democrats, independents, and Republicans said they would not vote for anybody who'd been convicted of a felony. Um, <laughs> are we paying enough attention to that, or are Republicans paying enough attention to that, or is it really meaningful? I think it is meaningful, and I think Trump is paying attention to that. That's why he's so desperate to delay all of these trials. Ah, good point. Uh, it's just, um, but I think in terms of our business, um, I mean, people, there, there's a sense among some reporters, I think, that Trump is somehow invincible and has these magical powers, and also a feeling that Republicans say that they would uh, react negatively to a, a guilty verdict, but if that were to happen, there would be other countervailing circumstances to where they would find a way to just write it off that Trump's base is solid no matter what. But uh, I do think that there will be, he will have, uh, he will have some drop off if he is actually convicted in one of these cases. I think it would be a big problem for him. And I think he knows that. Again, according to that NPR report, 75% of independents said could not vote for somebody convicted of a felony. That gets back to my, that gets back to the point about what the, look at the numbers for independents, right now. And I, I think that that will stick and that will get worse if, if for conviction. And that's the big worry is that the people in the middle, and there are still some, the people in the middle will really just, I think, just start to turn away from Trump if, he, if he's actually convicted and is a convicted failing run for president. I, I don't see how that works. All right. Can't avoid it. Down to the odds, down to the horse race. Jason, is it all over? Um, I would say that yes. I mean, <laughs> uh, in a word, know, our, yeah. Our 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 colleague, uh, you know, uh, Ginger, you know, say that she her one of her, um, you know, sort of messages to a lot of the reporters is that this is basically two incumbent presidents <laughs> running against each other. Uh, if if it was anybody but Trump, uh, you know, who was ahead. By, who won by 30 points in Iowa, you know, or who, you know, is, is ahead in the polls from, you know, so far ahead of Nikki Haley, so far ahead of DeSantis, we would have, you know, sort of started already, we, the question would have been settled. All these variables do make it different, though. I mean, like the, the all these cases, all these trials, uh, you know, the, the fact that the, you know, it, that is always hanging over. And as David said, you know, this is why Trump would love to put off these trials until after the election. So, I mean, it, it is I'm, I look at this as a the general election has started. It really kind of started a while ago. Uh, I don't think I, I just I you know, when Nikki Haley is making, you know, kind of her last stand in in New Hampshire, she's still far behind in the polls there. And then in her own state where she was a two term governor, she's behind, you know, by, <laughs> by you know, dozens and dozens of, of points and polling. I mean, I just don't see who, you know, where this happens. It reminds me of some of the magical thinking uh, of a lot of Republicans that something would happen and save them from Trump in 2016. And it, you know, it didn't. He just kept on rolling. 
Well, so what about Nikki Haley, Lynn? I mean, here she is in New Hampshire, and everybody says this is her chance, and Ron DeSantis has basically ceded the state to her, and all these articles now, she's really, she's really, really taking on Donald Trump full bore right now. Um, here she is, uh, uh, night before last, uh, at a little rally in New Hampshire. Trump says things. Americans aren't stupid to just believe what he says. The reality is, who lost the House for us? Who lost the Senate? Who lost the White House? Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Uh, that's our strongest argument against Donald Trump, Lynn. Ay, ay, ay. That's a technical term, gentlemen. So that's not, that is not coming out against Trump. He has an existential threat to governance in the United States. We don't even have to call it democracy if he's going to steal that word and co-opt it. He is not interested in governing. How many ways can you say it? And there are many, and she doesn't, Nikki Haley, declines to use any of them. You know, blaming him for house losses, those are debatable contentions. It's easy for him to talk about this and this and that and that. But the 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 uh, looniness of him in that, and I know that's a charged word, I say it with care, an election denier, the conspiracy theorist, theorist, a man who tried to overturn the election in multiple states, I don't even think you need the court cases to show that this is not somebody who should be president given all the Republicans we have in the United States. Now, this is an argument that Liz Cheney has been making mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, quite articulately, quite strongly, an argument Adam Kinzinger's been making. There are maybe, uh, of the mo- I couldn't find more than 10 very prominent Republicans who are willing to do this. So it isn't a matter of... Uh, is she coming out swinging? It, this is like pseudo swinging. This is this is boxing that trunk shadow, not really getting to the heart of it. But she knows that she's in the bind. If she says anything, if she comes out like a Liz Cheney, she will have a backlash. Yeah. David, so you were in Iowa. <laughs> what was your feeling leaving Iowa that um, it, it's just we're just going through the motions now that uh, if it's not over now, it certainly will be after South Carolina? Yes, um, I think so. It, there, you know, back in the '70s, there was a Washington a basketball coach in Washington who who uttered the phrase, and I, I'm sorry if this is sexist, but he said, "The opera ain't over until the fat lady sings." And I don't think the fat lady has sung yet, but she's certainly clearing her throat. And uh, I think there's no much doubt about that. My take on Iowa was, I, th- I thought the Iowa, I got there last week, and I thought the Iowa caucuses were already over. It was clear Trump was going to win. The only question was how big his number was going to be. And my impression was that everybody, the Republican professionals were all getting ready for New Hampshire because Haley was showing some movement there and the polls were tightening. But you know what? After Monday night and the returns came in and Haley finished third, she didn't overtake DeSantis like she thought she would. It just seems like a gloom really set in among the non-Trumpers. And now they do think it's inevitable. And I've, frankly, I've detected a lack of enthusiasm from Haley since she's been in New Hampshire. I, I think it's very odd. And all of which is to say is that, yes, I think Iowa ended the race and uh, we are just going through the motions right now, strange as it may seem. Yep. 
Uh, and we went through the motions this week in Washington, D.C. to keep the government open, well, at least for another month, <laughs> which which is considered or two months, uh, a success story here in Washington, D.C. After a quick break, we'll get into that and uh, what lie, may lie ahead in terms of uh, a deal on immigration and Ukraine and lots of other good stuff uh, that we still didn't get have a chance to get to on today's roundtable. Uh, and we'll be back with Lynn Sweet. From the Chicago Sun-Times, Jason Dick from CQ Roll Call and David Jackson, USA Today, here on the Bill Press Pod. Today's roundtable is brought to you by the good men and women of the SAG-AFTRA union. That's my union. Proud to be a member. 160,000 strong, representing all different aspects of the entertainment industry, from uh, actors on the big screen to on stage, on Broadway, uh, TV anchors and journalists as well across the board under President Fran Drescher. Uh, bouncing out of a successful strike last year with the Writers Guild and now uh, the entertainment industry on the big screen, on the little screen, and on stage is all back in business. Good for them. Good for us. We salute the members of SAG-AFTRA. Check out their website at sag-aftra.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at SCS. Dot georgetown dot edu slash podcast ready to elevate your home picture this central heating a cozy fireplace or your dream walk-in closet build a backyard oasis go green with solar panels or start a business it's all possible with figures home equity line of credit unlock up to four hundred thousand dollars apply online in five minutes funding in as little as five days head to figure.com and transform your home Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And we're back on today's roundtable, Reporters Roundtable, here on the Bill Press Pod. Thanks so much for joining us. And let's say hello again to uh, David Jackson from USA Today, national political correspondent, Jason Dick, editor-in-chief of CQ Roll Call, and Lynn Sweet, columnist and Washington bureau chief with the Chicago Sun-Times. Um, so, David, uh, here in Washington, uh, Mike Johnson, uh, at the risk of well, it was a snow day today, so they had to get it done yesterday. Uh, it was either shut down the government or keep it going, and the only way he was able to do so was to turn to the Democrats and say, help. <laughs> uh, and they did. So even though everybody said, we're not going to do another, another continuing resolution, they did. Right? 
Right. What's, yeah. What's it I mean? Just, does he uh, does he keep his job? I think he will because the Democrats have said that if need be, they would prop him up. Uh, and I, I think even the most even the most right wing Republican has to realize that if they depose another speaker, they might as well just go home and just. <laughs> it, it's just, it's it's just hard to get. It's hard to, for me to wrap my head around. I just feel like we're headed towards some kind of collapse in the system here pretty soon. And one of the sources is the absolute refusal of the House Republicans to to budge on their demands. They, they've got us a fairly large group of House Republicans who insist on doing these things that will never get past a Democratic Senate, that will never be signed into law by President Biden. I mean, they're, they're wishing for the impossible. They somehow seem to think that the more recalcitrant they are, the, the better their chances of getting what they want. And it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the end game is, but I, I, I'm very concerned about this, the idea of some kind of political collapse coming, and it could well come from the hard right House Republicans. Well, um, maybe their reluctance to make a deal um, uh, is, is not as much big a mystery as it might seem. Uh, Congressman uh, Jared Moskowitz from Florida pointed out, Lynn, this, uh, I think it was just yesterday, um, these guys are deliberately holding off for a very good reason. Here's the congressman from Florida. By the way, they don't want to solve this issue either. Again, don't listen to me. Just listen to the speaker saying that we can't solve the border crisis until after the election. Here's Congressman Troy Niels giving it all away. He's talking about immigration. Let me tell you, I'm not willing to do a darn thing right now to help a Democrat, to help Joe Biden's approval rating. I'm not going to do it. He's saying he's not going to do anything on the border. And he's from Texas, which needs help. I'm willing to do stuff on the border, but they're not willing to do it. They're doing what people hate about this place. They want to use it to raise money. They want to use it to politicize it, but they don't want to solve the issue. So, Lynn, sounds like he's saying they want an issue. They don't want a deal. Is he right? Yes. Yes, he's right, because there could be a deal. Democrats have been willing for years to make concessions on border uh, security and border funding, even uh, putting up things and uh, phys- from physical barriers on down. You know, years ago, there was a, a gang of, what is it, six or eight in the Senate, this yep. is when Senator <laughs> Kennedy was alive, where they, uh, they put in money for all kinds of heart- physical hardening of the border. Now, that deal collapsed, but the Democrats do show and have a track record of being willing to compromise and to swallow things they don't want. That is why Joe Biden is having trouble on his left flank on this immigration deal, because there are many on the far left that don't want to make any um, compromises either. The difference is that the Democratic Party writ large is not paralyzed by some members. One other big thing a reason the Republicans are able to do this at this point in time is that what is the margin that Johnson holds the House now? Uh, right. Is it three? Is it four? I what? think it's one. Okay. Isn't it, Jason? One, maybe. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's currently four. It goes down to three tomorrow or Sunday when Bill Johnson of Ohio quits to yeah. take a job at Youngstown State University. He, okay. He's had enough. <laughs> All right, Lynn. There you go. Yeah. So, Jason, but there's another factor here, right? Uh, that may be in the way of making a deal. Uh, And Mike Johnson let the cat out of the bag when he was talking to Laura Ingram uh, the other night about 
Somebody else has got his fingers in this little pie. Here he is. The president actually uh, just got off the phone with me right before the show, and he said he has spoken to you about this deal and that he is against it. President Trump was extremely adamant about that. Um, your reaction to that? Yeah, President Trump is not wrong. He and I have been talking about this um, uh, pretty frequently. I talked to him the uh, night before last about the same subject. We don't have the text of whatever the Senate has cooked up yet. And, and so we have to reserve judgment, I think, to see what comes out of it. So, Jason, I, uh, of course, Laura should know it's the former president, right? Right. Yeah. But Trump I, is in I, there. I don't think they're allowed to say that as the former <laughs> president on, on these shows. <laughs> but but so Trump is in there saying, don't make a deal, don't make a deal, don't make a deal. Yeah. No, and and you know the you know with Moskowitz quoting Troy Nels, like I mean, Nels has been very he's said this multiple times, and and all I can say is believe them. You know, they they don't want a deal, they don't want to give any wins uh to uh, to the president, to President Biden, to the Democrats, even to some of their own members. I think that they're they're perfectly content to just sort of let this, you know, kind of uh, stasis continue. And and it's it's not in, in what they perceive as their interests uh, to solve any problems, because that's, uh, you know, to be a little bit more uh, cynical about it for me, too, is that I don't think that they actually have the legislative chops to do this. Mm -hmm. They're so out of practice and they're so used to just whining and complaining about things and just, you know, sort of, you know, stamping their feet about what they want and, and getting angry when they don't get it that they actually don't know how to legislate. They don't know how to negotiate in a meaningful way. And, the, you know, the, these margins, which keep getting uh, smaller, you know, are don't help, you know, because they're they can't work with Democrats, but they won't work with Democrats and they can't work among themselves. So they're just in this spot. And what they do know is that they can just complain about how bad things are as they continue to make things bad. Uh, just a couple of other uh, little uh, uh, issues here I just wanted to touch with each of you on before we wrap and get your favorite story of the week. Uh, okay, we talked about um, almost Donald Trump from every angle, but one egg I see more and more stories about is questions. There are plenty of questions about the, Joe Biden's mental acuity, but more and more questions about Donald Trump's uh, with some reason. Here's a, a, a few quotes. David, you are out there. Uh, Donald Trump in his victory speech in Iowa um, Monday evening. And, you know, we have more liquid gold and wealth under our feet than any other nation. We have more liquid gold, oil and gas, more liquid gold. Well, I just met non-liquid gold. You know where it was? Iowa. It's called corn. They have, it's non-liquid. That's my thing. You have more non-liquid Gold. They said, what is it? I said, corn. They said, we love that idea. You know, that's a pretty cool thought, isn't it? That's a nickname in its own way. But we came up with a new word for a new couple of words for corn. But we're also going to place strong protections to stop banks and regulators from trying to debank you from your, you know, your, your political beliefs, what they do. They want to debank you and we're going to debank. Think of this. They want to take away your rights. They want to take away your country. The things you're doing, all electric cars, give me a break. <laughs> could, could we just note, too, that he does not drink? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Couldn't you imagine if he did? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Uh, this comes, of course, on top of saying, if you throw a magnet in a glass of water, it doesn't work. Um, David. <laughs> 
I mean, if Joe Biden dragged on like that, and you know, I mean, what would what would we be writing and talking about? By the way, what does debank mean? <laughs> it has something to do with this alternate currency thing that's floating around. I don't understand. Yeah, I, yeah, but that I he's going to that he's going to block. Yeah. It does raise questions, or does it raise questions? <laughs> Well, I think we're just used to it. I mean, Trump's been doing it, <laughs> saying these crazy things for so long. I think a big, a big, another thing that happened in Iowa, it hasn't gotten as much publicity, but there were shots of him that he really looked bad. I mean, he, oh, oh huh. you know, to, to me, the issue with Biden is that he, you know, he has the, he shuffles along. He sometimes looks like he doesn't know where he's at, that kind of thing. It's, it's the, it's the picture of Biden. I think that's a, a big problem. And Trump had that problem in Iowa, too. When he came off the plane on Saturday night, I mean, he just looked terrible. Uh, he was very gaunt. Now, of course, it was very cold in Iowa, so none of us looked too good. Also, <laughs> when he when he was in New York for the uh, for one of the trials this week, he waved and his hands had splotches on them, had bruises. So a lot of questions about that. So I think you're going to see increased questions about Trump's age from the physical aspect of it. And I, I do think that's going to be an issue. But to answer your question, I, I think people are just used to it from Trump. And I had one Republican tell me in Iowa this week that he, he feared that this race was going to that the general election was going to boil down to crazy versus senile. <laughs> but uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's that bad, but uh, I think that's the perception that's going on out there. Uh, uh, okay, a lot of comments on that. Uh, I want to give you one last, uh, all of you, one last shot. There has been, of course, now inevitable, inevitably speculation about whom Donald Trump might pick as his running mate if, in fact, he ends up being the nominee. He is uh, having conversations about this, uh, reportedly, over the dinner table at Mar-a-Lago, uh, and we know the names that have been thrown out there. Um, so, uh, Lynn, if you had to make your guess, who might be the one or two or three top contenders at this it's, point? Uh, there's only one contender, and it's Elise Stefanik, the New York Congresswoman, who I knew when she was a student at Harvard. She, Whoa. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she has had a remarkable metamorphosis from a mainstream, smart conservative who is able to network, kind of a Ken Duberstein uh, Republican. Yep. She worked her way into White House internships and jobs. And then, along the time of Trump's first impeachment, she not only had a conversion, but she had it, it, it wasn't just taking a few steps toward him. It, it's this full embrace. And she's kind of on a high now because she has, you know, she did do a good job. When it came to questioning those three university presidents about standing up to anti-Semitism, I think that kind of gave her a exposure to people outside of the Fox News network loop. And, uh, you know, so you have to, you know, I, I try to be a fair analyzer. You give her one. You know, I have been uh, watching her since she was a college student to see this remarkable trajectory where it has vaulted her to the top levels of Republican House leadership but at a cost. Mm -hmm. But that's why um, I think sir, he's going to pick. He's going to, a female, uh, young, articulate. Uh, all right, Jason, uh, who's, what do you think? I, I also think that Stefanik has the inside track, uh, but I would also throw out a, the wild card uh, in mm -hmm. more in, in more senses of the word than, than one uh, in Carrie Lake. I know Carrie Lake is running for the Senate in Arizona, my home state. Uh, but she also has a good relationship with the president. And if for some reason Stefanik 
you know, it, if, if more, maybe if more people in the uh, primary electorate realize that she has an education and grew up and went to elite schools in uh, Albany and so forth, and, and she falls out of favor because of that, uh, Carrie Lake is, is ready to, to uh, step into the breach. Wow. Uh, I noticed that no, neither of you mentioned Nick, Nikki Haley. <laughs> uh, uh, David nope. Jackson, you cover this pretty closely. Uh, at this point, who do you think the front runners are or front runner is? Well, I'd have to agree with the, the that Stefanik is the front runner right now. But I, I want to add what I think is going on is I think there are a series of tryouts going on. Um, and Vivek Ramaswamy obviously failed his tryout. So I, I don't think he's in the, in the running anymore because of the dust up they had in Iowa. I think in terms of Haley, I do think some Trump people made overtures that got into the press about, hey, you know, what, what, what do you think? Would you be willing to be vice president? I think Haley's kind of rejected those. So I think that's in the past. Uh, Stefanik, they tried her out in New Hampshire. So, yeah, this is we're in the midst of her tryout. And I think Trump's going to, you know, seriously consider her. But I want to add that a couple of people close to him told me that don't expect him to, to pick someone who would threaten him and don't expect him to th- pick someone who has 2028 designs because mm-hmm. he doesn't feel like he wants to be upstage. And that would seem uh-huh. to me would be against Stefanik and, uh, and certainly yeah, we have a point. Haley. You have a point with the, at least Stefanik. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, but another tryout that it's something that's going on right now, I, we, we've only been able to get the edges of it. For example, is uh, I still think Tim Scott has a shot at this, but his tryout is going on now because they are urging him to endorse him before yeah. the New Hampshire primary and certainly before the South Carolina primary. So if Scott has his, if Scott has any chance at all, we'll know soon enough if he endorses Trump. And I noticed that nobody mentioned Tucker Carlson either. Um, <laughs> I think that's a non-starter, but you know, who knows? I, I just want to throw one other name on the table, which uh, stunned me this week. I uh, was having lunch with a Republican operative who is um, not part of, but close to the Trump campaign, who told me sources inside the campaign tell her that Donald Trump, the name that he keeps coming up with is Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Think I think that's that. right. I think that's right. Although he's mad at her because he felt like she dragged her feet on her endorsement. But yeah, that, 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 I think that's a possibility. Only a one-term so, governor, though, and there'll be some resistance. Right, but she would not have to give up her seat to run. At right. least oh, would okay. have to give up a seat. Well, that's so, a good point. I, didn't, I haven't thought about that's that. That's a big yeah. deal. Yeah, so throw that name in the mix as well. Huh? Oh, yeah, okay. I, I, I think there that we works. Go. All right. Well, that's a good wrap for the week here. <laughs> lots, of, lots to think about over the weekend. A great big thank you to uh, Jason Dick, uh, to David Jackson, and to Lynn Sweet before you guys run off to start shoveling snow this morning. Uh, how about sharing with us what's one story that caught your attention this week, stopped you in your tracks, and said, oh, my God, how about that? Made you laugh or cry or at least scratch your head. Um, David, you want to start us off? Uh, not a lot of good. This is always the hardest segment for me, yep. but you know what? Oh. I'm, given your intro, I'm, I'm going to pick the idea that, uh, of, uh, Asa, poor old H. Hutchinson. Oh, yeah. you know, she fi- he finally pulled out this week and the DNC for some unknown reason issued a yeah. snotty statement said we would comment, but we didn't realize he was still in the race. And a lot of people bit back at the DNC over that. And one of them was Joe Biden. Yeah, totally and unnecessary. Totally unnecessary, totally. mean, and also yeah. m- maybe alienating to moderate Republicans who might be willing to vote for the Democrats. But in any event, Biden had Jeff Zients, who is his chief of staff and knows Asa, call Asa to apologize. And I yep. just, I, it was struck me because it's a rare note of civility in these times. 
Good, good point. It was a classy move and a big mistake on the part of the DNC. Jason, what caught your attention? Well, I did, I did a fair amount of casting about to beat the story that I brought last week, but then didn't <laughs> deliver because my internet went out. Uh, and I, I'm going to stick with that story because it still makes me laugh and it still makes me smile a little bit, which is, it's in the New York Times. Uh, it, it's, it was published on January 9th, so it's a little over a week old. Uh, but it is January's secret. It's the best month by Stephen Kuritz. And the the it, it's actually a story. It's not a column. It's a story about people who actually really like January. Why? <laughs> and well, part of it, it for them is that you've, you're done with the holidays uh, uh, and, yeah. and you can you, you don't have any obligations and you can slow down and you don't have to meet with friends and family and parties and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and you can just sort of, uh, you know, uh, engage in in just some some old, some self care, if you will. You can, you know, just sit around and do nothing and read books and watch movies and fix cocoa and all that kind of stuff. Now, it is it is a little hard for me to get totally into January. Being from Arizona, I'm used to a little nicer weather even in January, but. I I really for some reason the holidays really knocked me for a loop this year or last year and I was really happy uh to to have a month that was uh, a little bit more wide open and this is a this is a really nice this is a fun story and listening to the the quotes from people who are these sort of January apologists also is is a lot of fun uh, happy January. <laughs> happy January, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, happy January to you. And uh, how about your favorite story? Uh, I think it's a story that uh, is, is showing a sign of what's ahead. Senator Bernie Sanders in the Senate vote resoundingly lost his bid for a resolution uh, tying aid to Israel to examining its record on human rights. And though the Senate rejected that, by seventy by a seventy eleven vote, it did show, however, that there is a growing number of Democrats who want to figure out a way to pressure Benjamin Netanyahu, who, as we speak now, also just um, I think in the last day rejected the notion of the creation of any Palestinian state, and is not reigning in the military assaults uh, on Gaza as fast as uh, the Biden administration, Democrats, and others would like. I say this absolutely saying that Israel has a right to defend itself and that Hamas started this war, but the justifiable war by Israel is being conducted by Prime Minister Netanyahu in a way that he is not being able to justify to the United States. And though Sanders lost this vote, uh, there are others, including Senator Durbin, who's working with Senator Kane, trying to find some ways of uh, putting strings attached for some oversight if there is to be more money sent in the supplemental to Israel for military assistance. I thought it was significant, too, that Senator Sanders, uh, his resolution was not for a ceasefire, a total ceasefire, right? It was for the State Department to investigate uh, the human rights uh, right. record. And of, so of, I would just so, kind of yeah. say that in a very complex situation, maybe just trying to do one thing first, either mm -hmm. get a, you know, you, you don't have yeah. to call it a ceasefire to get a ceasefire. It's, you know, one, uh, rein in the attack, do something to get the hostages back. Okay. Step one, you could, uh, and, and I don't want to sidestep serious allegations, but if you put too much on a plate, you don't get anything done. 
uh, okay, thanks, Lynn. And um, my so my story is not a favorite story necessarily, but but I found the most important story that I saw this week. It was in yesterday's Washington Post, uh, and I just want to. This is a about um, one of the January six assailants who was sentenced to five years for assaulting police officers. Uh, and I just want to read uh, the, the part of the opening paragraph of this Washington Post story. So this guy, uh, his name is Kenneth Bonowitz, six feet tall, six feet six inches tall, nearly 300 pounds. He launched himself through the air, slammed his forearms into the throats of two police officers, one of whom suffered back injuries, so that he was forced to retire from the Capitol Police Force. Then he proceeded to attack six other police officers, including lifting one officer in a chokehold, putting her in a chokehold and lifting her off the ground, again, assaulting six police officers before he was finally brought down with chemical spray. I just found that an important story. Uh, to refute once and for all the idea that Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert uh, and Elaine Stefanik, at least Stefanik, are putting out there that these people are patriots or that they are hostages or that they should all be pardoned. These are criminals. They assaulted police officers. And every time Boebert or Greene or Donald Trump praise them, I think it's important that us in the media tell the truth about exactly what they did and what happened. I was glad to see this in the Washington Post, and I hope there are more stories like that. And with that, a great big thank you to, again, today's panel. Check them out and follow them when they're not on the Bill Press pod. David Jackson, find him at USA Today, national political correspondent. Lynn Sweet, of course, in the Chicago Sun-Times, where she can find her column and her reporting as Washington bureau chief. And Jason Dick, either listening to the Political Theater Podcast or following CQ Roll Call, where he's editor-in-chief. And thanks to all of you for listening. Now, just uh, got two more jobs. Number one, have a great weekend, everybody. And then number two, come back and see us again on Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. We're going to be talking to our foreign policy expert, Joe Cirincioni, about what's happening, the latest in the war between Israel and Hamas what's uh, happening about getting aid and medical assistance um, to the people of Gaza and to the remaining hostages there. And uh, what about the United States attacks on the Houthis? Could this really keep going and escalate into a wider war in the Middle East? Joe Sirincioni will bring us up to date on all of the middle, what's happening in the Middle East and all the other foreign policy hotspots around the world. That's next Tuesday. We'll see you then on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.